Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, a few weeks ago, I spoke to Frankie Black about her pilgrimage to the Camino de Santiago in Spain. I then received an email from André Lombard, chairman of the Confraternity of St. James of South Africa, to tell me all about their organization. So I've invited her to join us this evening. André, welcome to the show. Good evening. Good evening, Corin. I believe you're a four-time walker on the, on, on the route. That's right. It's, uh, it's quite a, a thing one gets uh, hooked on going on the Camino. And it's, it's a wonderful experience, a life-changing experience for me. So um, that's why I've done it four times. So as I mentioned, you are the chairman of the Confraternity of St. James of South Africa. That's for those right. who don't know what that is all about, would you like to just explain who you are and what you do? Okay, we are a, a public benefit organization, and our main aim is to assist prospective pilgrims who plan to walk with giving information about the walk and um, you know, being available, we run workshops to help pilgrims. And also then when pilgrims return, you know, everybody wants to share their stories. So we, we, uh, we you know, we get together, we have outings and um, we run um, photographic competitions so that people have millions of photos which they want to share. And then uh, we put together a calendar once a year and we have uh, magazines three times a year. So, um, you know, people like to share their experiences with other like-minded people. So that's what we do, basically. The one and we issue the pilgrim's passport that is required when you walk um, at Camino. I was going to say the one advantage of getting involved with, with the, your organization before people want to go is that there is always that issue of applying for the Schengen visa and you need to have booked accommodation. But on when you're walking in the Camino, you don't do that before you get there and there's a problem. And yet you have a very good relationship with the Spanish consulate. So you That's sort right. of ease the way with all of that. Yes, okay. The, the Spanish consulate is the Spanish consul is actually our patron. And um, we issue a, a, a certificate um, called credential, which the visa people accept, the Spanish uh, consulate will accept in place of um, having booked accommodation on, on the way. Because when you walk, you stay in uh, little places called refugios or albergues, and, um, and um, you can't book ahead normally. So we issue the certificate and then the Spanish uh, consulate will take it as a bona fide pilgrim, that you are a bona fide pilgrim. Now, when we talk about pilgrims, people might think that it's a very religious thing, it, but it isn't. It's for anybody can do this. Anybody can do it, yes. And there are people who do it for mm. religious purposes, but um, there are a lot of other people who don't, uh, you know, just walk for pleasure now and for to meet people. For those who haven't yet heard, because I've, I've spoken about the walk a number of times on mm. the show, but yes. for those who possibly have missed it, could you just tell people exactly what it involves when you get there? Well, when you get there, it, it's not a tour or anything. You can just start walking at any time or any place along the route. So there's no really fixed place to start. There are sort of common places where people like to start, but you can start at any point along the route, and then you would either walk or cycle or go by donkey or something like that, um, so many kilometers a day, and then at night you would stay at, in a refugio and um, you know, share a uh, sort of dormitory experience and uh, meet other pilgrims who've been walking. When I spoke to Frankie on the show a couple of weeks ago, she was telling me that she didn't go with a group, she went on her own, but yes. there are so many people, she said, walking, that you end up becoming, for different stages of the walk, you sort of tag on with other people who are walking along. And obviously you have a lot in common because you're all doing this walk. It's not as if you're just bumping into some extraneous person. You all have the same goal to get to the other end. That's right. Um, I also walk alone. I always walk alone. And then it's the evenings that when you stay in these refugios that you meet other people and you bump into them along the way and you'll have a chat or you'll have a coffee together. And um, you might walk for some, with somebody for half an hour and then go on your own way again. And um, you never feel alone. You never feel alone. You always feel that you, um, you know, as you say, part of a... a wonderful band of pilgrims <laughs> going to Santiago. How long is the walk in total? Because as you said, people sometimes come on and off at different points. So how long is the actual walk in, in well, total? Well, as I said, it, it hasn't really got a start or end, but most people will start at, um, at St. John Pierre de Port, which is in the foothills of the Pyrenees. 
and from there to Santiago is 800 kilometers. But there are other routes. Last year I walked from Seville, which is 1,000 kilometers. It's a completely different route. It's called the Via de la Plata, the silver route. And I've also walked from uh, Le Puy in France to the Pyrenees and then to Santiago, which is 1,600 kilometers. Wow. There are other routes. There's a northern route. There's a tunnel route. And you can walk the Portuguese route. There are several routes. Um, but the main, the most common route is the Camino Frances. And that's taken a starting at St. John Port. Now, along the way, you keep talking when you stop over in the evening. Every time you stop over, you have to get your pilgrim's passport stamped there. That's right, yes. So we issue a pilgrim's passport, a South African pilgrim's passport, which is very well accepted overseas. And uh, we, we, besides the pilgrim's passport, into the pilgrim's passport pack, we, we put other things like luggage labels and a Spanish survival guide. And some South African ribbons. <laughs> That's so that nice. People can see South African. It's so nice to meet a fellow South African on the, on the way, and. Um so, so that's what we, we do. And then at the end of the walk, one, you have to get how many of these stamps do you need to get to get your certificate no, of completion? You, you need to walk at least uh, the last 100 kilometers or cycle the last 200 kilometers before Santiago. So you, there's not a set number of stamps that you need to get. Okay, but you just have to have done a certain number of kilometers along the way. No, the, the last the last 100 mm. kilometers. So you can do so whatever even else. Even if you did 100 kilometers near the beginning and then you... Bust in at the end, you won't get a certificate. You need to do the last hundred. Why is that? Well, I don't. I don't <laughs> it's know just the way one. it is. Okay. <laughs> um, so tell me, the the the, um, the organisation that you there's the confraternity. You yes. don't have to physically have been a pilgrim or are planning on doing the pilgrimage to join the confraternity. You can no, you can no, become you a don't. member you anyway. Have to have an interest in in the, mm. in, the con, in the Camino as such. Yeah. And then, as you say, you actually help people. I like the idea because it's almost sort of a one-stop shop with you. You know, you get all your information, you'll help them get their, their passport things and everything else. So it's, it takes a lot of the strain off the person wanting to go because they're pretty much doing all the hard work for them. Yes, we, we run a workshop um, once a year where we, um, you know, we, we show people what to take along. It's, you know, people usually carry all their, their own luggage so it can be you know we always tell them not to carry too much and we try we show them how to do it you know mm. so not to carry too much uh, luggage and um these people are, are quite uh, sort of nervous on going on such a journey on their own in mm. a foreign country and so we try to take that sort of fear out and you know equip them as best we can and during the year I've, i have people coming to my house and i show them you know what i've done and help them with all, you know, they want to know about how, about how much money to take and, you know, and, and maybe about blisters and things like that. So we, we try to allay all their fears and tell them to have a wonderful time and to make it their own walk. You know, don't follow a guidebook religiously, you know. Just do what you want to do on the Camino because it is a, it is a very personal thing. There's lots to see. It's not just a case of walking along on the route. There's also lots of historical things, I think, to That's see right. on the route as well. Yes. So it's, and, there's a lot. Um, and, uh, and I always encourage people to, you know, just to spend some time and, you know, not just rush past. It's not a race. But some people think, oh, you know, I've walked 40 kilometers today, and that's not the aim of the thing. It's to, um, you know, stop and see a beautiful place or sit in a field and, We'll take a little detour. Some of the detours are lovely and stay in, in the smaller places. Some of the guidebooks, you know, just they, they have a little plan which says from this town to that town. I always say to people, stay in the small places. You get wonderful experiences where you might have to cook the supper together and, you know, you might, the guy might ask you to sing together. And, you know, so it's, it's really lovely. It's really a lovely experience to stay in small places and you really get to meet people. Sounds like a life-changing experience, Andrea. Yes, it is. And you've changed your life four times. Planning on doing it again anytime soon? <laughs> I'd love to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do it maybe maybe next year, but I, I don't want to walk such a long one again. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm also a hospitalario, and an hospitalario is somebody who helps in a refugio. 
Oh, okay. And um, I did a course, and uh, so I could do that where you, you know, you register pilgrims and you see that they are comfortable and such might have to cook for them. Um, yeah. Sounds like a very important part of your life, this whole Camino. But Andre, thank you for joining us and for explaining all this to us. And uh, I'll give out the website address in a moment. So if anybody's interested, they can go and have a look at that. Yes, but, and, and they can. Uh, and people are, off, are free to contact us. And we, as I say, we we love to help pilgrims. Well, thank it, you very it much indeed. It back to us I'm sure time, you yeah. sort of travel vicariously through everybody else who keeps going off on that you're helping to go. But thank you so much for your time this evening. It's a pleasure. Thank, thank you, for Andre. Me. In a pleasure. Okay. Good night to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Andre Lombard is the chairman of the Confraternity of St. James of South Africa. And for more information, you can take a look at their website. It's www.csjofsa.za.org. Time to travel with Karen Key. If you're going to be in or around Cape Town in the next few months, may I suggest that you make a point of going along to Amazink. It's being billed as a homegrown township musical and dining experience, but it's so much more than that, and by all accounts, something you'll remember for a very long time. Well, I'm joined now by Romaine Barrero-Lloyd, production manager and female lead vocal for Amazink. Romaine, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Good evening. Thanks for having me once again. So it's all go, go, go. You guys open on Saturday. We have our opening night on Saturday, and we have our treasure launch tomorrow night. So exciting, still at the venue, still rehearsing, oh still goodness. squeezing all the little bits in. <laughs> now, for those who don't know what Amazink is all about, this, this is, it's quite a unique experience because the waiters are actually the performers, and I mean, the whole, the whole thing is just incredible. Tell people about what happens if they come along to Amazink. This year we've changed it a little bit, so we've got your uh, performers, which are obviously going to be on the floor, um, and then we have our waiters se- separate. Oh, they're separate this uh, year. That. Yeah, it's completely changed this year, um, so that we could actually just emphasize all its talent and the extremely high energy that this cast has. <laughs> okay. um, and it's just a, a uniquely South African experience, I would say. Um, most of the cast, for two of the leads, um, are all from Kayamandi. They've all had to come along and come and audition. So raw, raw talent. Um, and it's our third year now. So I'm absolutely amazed because the, the talent has really come out of the cracks. It's been amazing. So now you, people come along and you can actually have dinner there as well before the show. You is that still dinner, the same? We've got your proper Kazi meal, which is your township meal. Um, you buy your ticket, come outside, come and chill at the fires. Um, and then you're very energetic cast hits you with three different sets um, and all proudly South African music. We've got one or two um, overseas foreign songs that are in, but otherwise just South African, purely South African music. I know in 2011, just to give people some idea of the quality of the show, in 2011, you were runner-up for the Mayoral Tourism Award for Best New Tourism Business. Now, people wouldn't possibly consider a show as being a tourist event or a tourist destination. But in this case, it is because you have a lot of overseas tourists coming sometimes to Cape Town specifically just to come and see you. To come and see the show, yeah. Mm. But the thing is, it's so uniquely South African. And a lot of South Africans don't spend a lot of time coming into the townships. So what happens is they come to Cape Town, head through to Stellenbosch, they get picked up by a taxi, driven into the township, and then you just find this beautiful oasis with all of this talent and perfect food. The ambiance is stunning. Um, you, it's just one of those things that you can't, if you're coming to South Africa, you've got to come and think. So people, Kaya Mandi, it's just outside Stellenbosch? It's just, just outside Stellenbosch. Um, it's kind of part of Stellenbosch, I would say. Um, but all the info is on our website, and we've got maps to it, so you can go and check all of that out. And are you still running the shuttle service this year? We still are. We still are. So, and that's also all that information they'll find on all the website? All the info is on the website. You would um, meet at a, a meeting point in Stellenbosch, pick you up with a taxi, drive you into our township, and you just get that, um, by the time you drive into Kayamandi, you've already got that feeling. So we Zinc. It just it just rounds it off perfectly. The other thing about Amazink Romaine as well is that it's one of those things that is fabulous for a, a corporate function. People can come and do a corporate event there. They can, and and we we tailor make everything we have to what it is that the corporate events would like for the evening. So if you come in, you tell us this is your budget, and we'll we'll just tailor it to that. Um, book out the whole venue if you're coming in with 
50 friends or that sort of thing. Um, so you don't necessarily have to have the full show, um, but we can do that for you. If you want to put it into one set, we can do that for you. And food and everything fits perfectly into what it is your budget is. And with this sort of this time of the year now, when, when companies are looking for something different or unique to do for their end of year function, Completely this different. is it. This is this is definitely it. Completely different. You come in with the drumming going, the ladies do the face painting, and it's just completely different. If you haven't done the Amazink experience yet, you haven't been to Stellenbosch Cape Town at all. Well, you haven't lived. Let's just tell them like Not it is. You haven't lived. And just, you, you walk out of the door just like with new, and it's, it's just exciting. And last year, I know that you did all those my favorite things, things like Putter Putter and the Click Song and Special Star, MP, African Dream. Are those all in the show again? Um, I have actually put most of that back in again. But this year, we kind of, we, we're mixing it up a little bit and we're bringing it, um, I would say, uh, one or two songs to the younger generation and then just capitalizing on the voices that we have. Also an amazing rendition of our national anthem. Um, and I sit in rehearsals every day and chills. So I can't wait for other people to see it and hear it. Now, just generally, if we're not doing a corporate function, but just the likes of me and the rest of us who want to come along, when mm-hmm. are you actually open? Is it every night, just on the weekends, times, that sort of thing? We are doing three public shows a month, which is uh, three Fridays out of every month. Um, all the dates will be on the website, if so if the public just wants to see the shows. Um, and then the rest of the time, we just open for corporate bookings so clients can call us up, choose their date, and we fix it for them. So it's three Fridays a month that you're doing it until when? Obviously, I said you're opening on Saturday, but that's a... We're opening on Saturday, and we're running until the middle of April next year. Oh, wow. So it's, it's sort of longer than last time. Um, more or less the same. We've just started a little bit later this year. Um, so we're just pushing the date a little bit back. But it, it's perfectly corporate season when all of the, co- the companies are looking for that, that something different. And I mentioned that you're the production manager. Are you in the show again this year? I am. I am. No, you couldn't hold me couldn't away. keep you out. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's become my second home completely. I'm completely comfortable. I'm loving coming in here. And if you need that lift during the day, and then I walk into my amazing cast and... Uh, I love it. I love it. I'm definitely in the show. But what the, the nice thing about this, Romaine, you mentioned this right at the very beginning, is discovering all that raw talent right literally on your doorstep. It's the best. It's the best thing in the world. I've been, um, I, I celebrated 50 years on stage at um, the end of last year. And just that coming into a place where the, the, these youngsters are discovering their voices and their talents and are just... For musos who've been doing it forever, kind of going, you know, we do this every day and we take things for granted. And then you watch how they are learning and the excitement and a completely new hope for me as a muso. Uh, I'm working with Orion Winter, who's also been doing it forever. Um, so it's just it's one of the most amazing things. And just feeding off their raw talent, you know, because they haven't been through 10, 12 years of um, just every day sitting and learning and blah, blah, blah. So they, they're now just going, oh, wow, look, I've got this. Let's use it. It's amazing to watch. I'm loving every second of it. So, Romain, if they wanted to find out more, the website is, is it amazink.co.za? That's right. Okay, and they can Amazink. also, and they can phone. I'll give out the cell phone number where they can phone to book or they can email to book. But I think you definitely have to book. There's no two ways about the having to book oh, you thing. you have to. You have, you have to have do to, that. Have to. Hopefully we'll be seeing you. Oh, you over this season, when I have some leave, I will be there with bills on and all my friends in tow. <laughs> Definitely, and uh, awesome. probably have to take a week to recover because I can see if that's <laughs> the kind much. of if that's the kind Pretty of music much. you're going to be playing. I will be up there with the best of them. So, yeah, <laughs> but that that sort of music you can't actually stay in the seat. I mean, you know, you shouldn't even supply chairs because there's no point. Really, <laughs> it's completely true. But I, I I just I love that people coming here and they kind of like they're not 100 percent sure of what we are about, and then by the end of the evening. We've got to actually get off stage because the clients are on. So I'm loving every second. I can't wait for us to get off. I'm so excited. I'm actually very jealous. But it sounds like, (laughs) yet again, a fabulous season about to start. Romaine, thank you so much for for your time. I know you're really busy. So I do appreciate your time and uh, pop back off to rehearsal or take some time off before the madness hits. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Good Good night. night. Bye-bye. Romaine Barrera-Lloyd is the production manager and female lead vocal for Amazink. And for more information, take a look at the website 
website, www.amazinc, A-M-A-Z-I-N-K, amazinc.co.za. You can call them on 072-993-9173 or email on info at amazinc.co.za. And you can also find them on Facebook. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, someone's back in the studio who hasn't been here for a while. He's been traveling, believe it or not. Richard Holmes, and he's a freelance travel writer and the travel editor of iAfrica.com. Richard, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Evening, Karen. It has. Yeah, I've been busy. (laughs) Apparently. So this week we're going to chat about your trip to the Seychelles. Yes. Been there before? Uh, I have a couple of years ago. I uh, spent more time then on Mahe, which is different to the trip that I did this time, which was uh, where we spent most of our time on an island called Pralin, which is – there's three main islands in the in the Seychelles. There's Mahe, the main island, which has got the airport and the capital and all that kind of jazz. Uh, then you've got Pralin, which is sort of the uh, mama bear kind of of the three – of the Goldilocks Islands, I guess, in that it's it's medium-sized. There's lots of resorts there, though, uh, some nice little beaches, that kind of thing. And then Ladigue, which is the, the – tiniest little island um, very little motorized transport um, you know you can hire a bicycle and ride around to a couple of hours and ox carts to get you around and that kind of thing so all three of them have their have their own attractions I guess but this time we spent most of our time on La Digue at a resort called Constance Lemuria. Constance I think a lot of people might know they run resorts in Mauritius and the Maldives and now the Seychelles obviously. It's a, a nice sort of escape I thought in that it's, it's an island that has enough to do and enough to keep you busy and also enough little hideaway. So it feels nice and quiet. It has that kind of remote desert island feel, um, but with plenty of you know facilities and activities If you so you don't feel like you're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Um, and Lemuria is interesting, uh, or Constance Lemuria is interesting, because um, it's the only resort on the islands that has an 18-hole golf course. And now, you know, if you look at Mauritius, every second resort has got a golf course or two or three designed by, you know, Gary Player or Jack Nicklaus or somebody or other. So I think it's quite a popular thing with South African travelers is to, to go away to the tropics and have your, your you know, palm tree-lined beach and your resort experience and play some golf. And now this is pretty much the only place in the Seychelles where you can do it. So that was part of the reason that I wanted to go there. The only thing is that I didn't pack enough balls. Yeah, I gather it's, it's the, what they call is a ball eater of a course. That's, that's what the, the, the golf club manager <laughs> said to me the one day with kind of a slightly, I wasn't sure whether he was being entirely kind about it, but he sort of chuckled and looked at the way I swung on the first tee and said, yeah, this golf course is a ball eater. And it proved to be, I think, I think I probably took about two dozen balls over with me and ended up having to sort of bum a few off the caddies to <laughs> to finish my second round. <laughs> that, that, that says a lot about the course and about my game. But no, it's a, it's a fantastic course in that it's, well, it's quite short by normal standards. It's sort of five and a half thousand meters, which is which is fairly short. But it's um, built with the first 12 holes on the flat land, which is, you know, where the kind of uh, the Seychelles is um, mostly sort of big granite boulders and sort of peaks rising steeply from the shoreline. So you do get these flat areas near the beaches. And then as soon as you get away from that, it just goes straight uphill. And that's where the course really becomes interesting. So the first 12 is on this flat land and it's it's quite strange because it's a parkland course uh, and people who play golf will know what that means but generally it's sort of uh, kind of flat open grassy areas lots of lots of woodland around and the rough's normally not too taxing but uh, it's the trees that you've got to watch out for um, but in this case it's palm trees everywhere which is great and I came along to a water hazard the first I played two rounds and the first time I came along to a water hazard and I thought oh, well this doesn't look that great you know it's just this sort of sandy patch with you know nothing no landscaping done and just some gnarly old roots and that so I thought oh they could they could probably do a little bit better with their landscaping on the second round I came through at high tide and turns out that it's mangrove forest (laughs) (laughs) so I thought okay actually this is rather good so you get these beautiful clear you know the high tide sea basically washing into the golf course and forming water hazards around some of the holes and mangrove forest so it's, it's a wonderful setting and then the moment you leave those first 12 holes behind you start climbing up into the into the hills and that's where the course really comes into its own. You, uh, you're playing sort of steep angle uphill where, you know, you can hit a fantastic drive and you're halfway up the fairway because the ball just hits the slope and stops. Um, and then incredible downhill holes where there's a signature hole, which is the 15th, the par three. And you tee off and it's great because you tee off with sort of a, a gentle nine iron perhaps and you sit back and you watch your ball because there's a 60 meter drop between the tee and the green. So you just watch your ball fall and fall and fall and fall and fall and, fall and about... 
now it'll hit the green. <laughs> it's, wow, okay. it's got an incredible drop, which is wonderful. So luckily it was quite quiet when I played there. So I hit sort of four or five or six and just went and fixed my pitch marks afterwards. But, uh, <laughs> so the golf course is, is a fantastic attraction of the resort and, is, and it's quite unique. Like I said, there is a, a nine-hole course on Mahe, a public course, but this is the only 18-hole. You can either hire clubs from the course or you can take along your own. Um, they do, you know, they have a pro shop. You can buy everything. Obviously, like much of the Seychelles, it's quite expensive. So it, it, ta- it pays to take along your own golf balls. <laughs> And but, lots of them, by all accounts. And lots of them, unless you're a lot better than I am. Yeah, mm. it's a it's a, a fairly short course, but incredibly narrow fair, fairways and incredibly unforgiving rough, especially when you get up into the top, you know, the last six holes. It's basically the moment you go off the fairway, you've got about a meter of rough and then it's thick tropical jungle. <laughs> you know, there's there's just no chance of finding a ball if you hit them in there. Like well, it I sounds do. like it's worth losing a few balls. I mean, for the scenery, at least. It is. Know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the interesting thing about it as well is that you have to take a golf cart, which I'm normally quite averse to. But now I I went. I was there in uh, sort of May, May, April, May, June, that sort of time. Uh, so it wasn't wildly hot, but just playing, you know, swinging at the ball, getting on a golf cart, driving to the next shot and, and playing, I was absolutely knackered by the end of the round because it's so hot and humid and the terrain is so steep that even if you're walking, you know, 30 meters from where you've parked your cart to where your ball is, you know, you're you're exhausted by the end of the round. So, um, yeah, it's it's actually a surprisingly taxing experience for being a, a relatively short course played with a golf cart. But, but it's wonderful and the scenery is outstanding, especially when you get up into the higher, the holes that run up into the mountains. You get wonderful views out to the other islands. You get incredible sea views. And from that tee that I was talking about, um, the 15th, you get a great view down into a small little beach, which is one of the, the best in the Seychelles, I think, called Anse Georgette. And it's it's a real pirate's cove. You know, it's there's granite boulders tumbling down to the sea. It's white sands. It's clear blue water. There's flying foxes zipping overhead. And it's and normally there's hardly anybody there. It's fantastic. It's a public beach, as all beaches in the Seychelles are. And that's quite an interesting point, I thought, is that although Anse Georgette, you have to go through the gates of the resort to get to, people are allowed to get in there. They're, I don't think they're probably allowed to drive their cars in there. But in the Seychelles, the public has rights of access to every single beach. Uh, in the islands, which I think is great because you do get, uh, you know, you get um, big developments coming along and they could potentially block off access to locals and that just breeds, you know, sort of disenchantment with with tourism and uh, that's one way that they seem to get around it, which is, yeah, a good thing, I think. Now, we're talking about the beaches. I was going to ask you, if you're not a golfer, what can we do other than go and look at the beautiful beaches? Is there lots of other water sporty things to do? Yeah, there's plenty. It, it really depends what you're, what you're up for and how adventurous you are. I mean, I think my impression is that Constance Lemuria is is better suited to just chilling out. Um, because you're on Pralin, you're not on Mahe, which is where a lot of the big sort of catamaran charters and a lot of the a lot of the activity happens on, on Mahe. If you're going over to Pralin or Ladigue, uh, it's, you're there to kick back and relax. And yeah, there is a lot to do. Off the golf course, there, there's great beaches to sit on and swim on. There's every resort and resorts like Lemuria, they have a boathouse, uh, which is well stocked with you know kayaks and pedalos and sailing boats. And uh, I think there might be windsurfers there as well. So those are all very popular. And those are uh, generally included in the cost of your stay as well. So golf, you know, you'll be paying a green fee every time. But for that sort of activity, it's, it's entirely free of charge. Scuba diving is something that's very popular there as well. That, again, is an activity you'll end up paying for. The scuba diving in the Seychelles is interesting in that they've suffered quite badly with coral bleaching in the El Nino phenomenons of the last sort of 20 years or so. So some of the coral isn't as spectacular as, especially around these main islands, which are, there's a lot of boat traffic. Um, some of the reefs are quite shallow. And obviously the shallower reefs are the ones that get hit, have been hit more by the coral bleaching. But there is some great diving there and especially interesting in terms of its topography because Unlike most dives, which are you know sort of a rock, um, a nondescript rock reef covered by fantastic corals, this is dramatic granite boulders covered by average coral. So even though you're diving and the coral might not be spectacular, just the scenery is spectacular. It's it's as impressive below water as it is above, uh, and there were wonderful swim throughs, and we saw had some great you know sea life sightings with turtles and sharks and. Uh, you know, giant trevally and that kind of thing. So, yeah, pretty pretty good scuba diving, actually. Um, I think if you are a more qualified scuba diver and you can get to the deeper reefs, there's more dramatic stuff going on. Uh, you also have more chance then of seeing shark and whale shark and that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's definitely some good scuba diving on offer. Now, whenever you travel, Richard, one of the highlights for you always seems to be the food and the wine. How was it there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have been known to eat a few restaurants out of, mm. <laughs> out of stock. Uh, the food is great. And the wonderful thing, again, with these resort holidays is that generally it's included you know you get 
uh, which I suppose it is. Let me caveat that, I guess, by saying, you know, I've got friends who are the ultimate adventure travelers. They've spent, you know, they've done five or six trips to India and they take local buses and they do it all by themselves and they're hardcore and they eat in local restaurants. And recently, for this mate's 40th birthday, they went to Mauritius for two weeks. And they were just like, they just wanted to kick back and relax and not have to stress too much. And that that's the thing about these resort holidays is that if you're after soaking up local culture and, you know, really feeling like you're traveling, it's probably not the right idea. If you just want to relax and have things done for you, it's it's heaven on earth. And that applies to the restaurants too. So, yeah, there's, there's great food on offer. There's um, a couple of different restaurants where you can get different types of cuisine uh, at Lemuria specifically. There's a seafood restaurant, one that leans a bit more towards French fine dining. And obviously there are a lot of French tourists in the Seychelles where that's one of the mm. main languages. And then there's your average buffet restaurant, well, not average, the regular buffet buffet restaurant where you have breakfast and lunch and there's dinner and that kind of thing. But there's some interesting food you can try if you like. There's obviously a lot of seafood. Uh, pork is quite popular there too. So we had great suckling pig on the night we arrived. And then fruit bat curry is, <laughs> it's interesting. Because you kind of lost me at that point, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's great. As When I say fruit bat curry, what, what do you think it's most likely to taste of? I have no idea. I've never eaten a bat and a flying fruit bat is really not something high on the list of things I'd like to try. Well, you see, I wasn't surprised because generally when somebody has something that tastes a little bit, you know, well, that sounds a bit adventurous, it tastes like chicken. Fruit bat tastes a bit like chicken. But they always say that. Does it really (laughs) taste like chicken? It does. It tastes like a sort of a a stronger, meatier, slightly stringier chicken, basically, Mm. with really, really small drumsticks as well. I'll stick to the seafood. Thank you. (laughs) It was fantastic, you know, and went in Rome. So um, the funny thing is that we met a couple of local Seychellois people and I was like yeah I tried some fruit bat curry the other night thinking that I was going to impress them and they were like yeah I haven't really eaten that before <laughs> <laughs> so you do have to wonder whether it is an authentic Seychellois dish or whether it's just um, you know something kind of quirky for the locals but you do there, there are a couple of authentic Seychellois restaurants around the islands and they all have it on the menu so I gather that it's not the you know it's not what you make on a Tuesday evening when you can't be bothered to cook it's it's more of a, a special occasion dish that everybody has one polite um, you know winglet and then goes okay fine that's great I've had my fruit bat the other thing about the Seychelles though Richard before we move on to another island is the fact that it's more accessible now because there's an extra flight there is yes um, Etihad Airways which is the national airline of uh, Abu Dhabi they invested a significant amount into Air Seychelles so they're basically a fairly strong partner with, with the airline now and they've totally revamped the, air, the fleet that they use so they basically use brand new Airbus aircraft which you know I'm not sure if they've been drawn from the Etihad fleet but they're up to the same quality so compared to when I flew Air Seychelles about four or five years ago it's you know chalk and cheese it's a fantastic airline and yes they've added this extra flight each week which may which means you don't have to be there for a week you know mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of packages were built around like, like I think of Mango and Zanzibar, you know, they're flying there once a week now as far as, well, from October, November, somewhere around there. And it's a once a week flight. So it's geared for those seven day packages. So if you want to go for four days or 10 days, you're stuffed. So that's that's a great advantage now. And um, but yeah, just it's a it's a I think it's about a four to five hour flight. I forget exactly. From Johannesburg. Um, from Johannesburg. Yeah, they only fly from Johannesburg. So it's, it's a reasonable amount of time to be spending on an aircraft. So you want, you know, you want a bit of comfort. And yeah, I was really impressed. It was a huge leap forward from what they were a couple years ago right so now we've done all the eating of fruit bats which, <laughs> you've done all the eating of fruit bats played your golf gone for some diving and things but can you do any sort of excursions out of from from the hotel or you kind of definitely no so you can I mean, move around a bit yeah i mean i think a lot of people if you're there for say a week you know you'll spend three or four days just relaxing in the resort and playing golf and doing whatnot um but yeah there's plenty to explore around lemuria you can do a day trip across the ladigue which is very popular there's some great beaches there there's some very iconic ones with these massive granite boulders that again tumble down onto the sands and there's a tortoise sanctuary and there's a vanilla farm and you can see how coconut oil is made and that kind of thing so there's there's some cool little things to mm. do across on ladigue and then on pralin uh, is most famous for a forest reserve called the Valley de Mai, which is actually a world heritage site. And uh, it's it's a world heritage site and most famous because it's home to 6,000 palms called the Coco de Mer. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen the Coco de Mer fruit. Well, they've probably seen it, but not known the name. But the female and the male seeds are very suggestively shaped, almost exactly like human male and female genitalia. So you have, well, the male seed is like male genitalia. The female seed is this big, voluptuous, hip-shaped seed, which weighs, oh, must weigh about 20 kilograms. It's a a massive thing with kind of tufts of coconut 
fur in all the relevant places. So you can just imagine what 17th century sailors yes. thought when they arrived on these <laughs> islands after three months at sea and found these these uh, rather suggestively shaped seeds. So um, it's, it's most famous kind of for the titillating factor of those seeds, I guess. Well, it's a World Heritage Site mainly because it's, it's a prehistoric forest. It's a little changed for thousands of years. And it's home to some great world, uh, bird life. There's black parrots, which are quite hard to see, but we managed to see some in the treetops. So those are quite a draw card. And there's wonderful walking trails that run through this forest. Um, you you know you can go with a guide, which is probably recommended just for not for a safety or getting lost point of view, but just to learn a bit more about the different palms that are in the forest and that sort of thing. Uh, or there are very well marked um, walking trails that you can go and explore. So that's that's really popular. And then yeah, great beaches around the area. There's some nice little local restaurants that you can stop at if you're self-driving or if you've hired a car for the day, uh, which is perhaps not a bad idea. Otherwise, there's a company there called Masons that does really good um, day trips. So you know, half day to Ladigue and the Valley de Mai or full days or whatever it might be. So yeah, plenty to do. It's quite a lot to do. I think what you described, I think I'd like to stay there because after that you went to Mahi and that was... I'm not so sure about the bumpy catamaran ride. <laughs> so maybe I'll just step put now. Well, you can fly. So let me, okay. let, let me start okay. with that. Right. And in fact, it's one of the cool things about um, about Pralin is that there's one traffic light on the island and it's at the end of the runway and it's to stop traffic because the planes <laughs> the planes come in so low when they come in on approach at the one end that they don't, I mean, you're unlikely to clip the top of a car, but they obviously want to minimize the, mm. minimize the risk. So there's one, there's one traffic light, which all of the guides very proudly point out as you drive past they go oh this is our traffic light <laughs> very exciting so yeah, we flew we flew into uh, Pralin with SA shells it's, you a, didn't fi- do it's the a 15 bumpy minute thing. flight no no we flew in oh, and, flew we, in. and we boated back okay. which yeah I, I, I can do many things and but um, yeah sea legs is not one of my strong points mm. and this was a bumpy into the wind into the swell high speed ferry so it's it was interesting mm. and um after about half an hour or so, I was okay. And then suddenly I thought, no. Right, How I, long I, is I, the I, trip? I, it's an hour. It's an hour. It's okay. an hour across. Not too bad. On a, and I've done it before on a good day and it's fine. But this was just a hell of a bumpy crossing. And yeah, I went out to get some fresh air. And that's uh, when I, at the end of the trip, I went back inside and the other people in my group said, well, yes, no, you missed the Russian. Uh, there were about four young Russian tourists, sort of 18, 20, 22, somewhere around there. That were, one of them was getting violently ill into the sick bag and the others were singing Russian songs loud. <laughs> to try and chivvy her along. So I thought, okay, great. I'm glad that I just spent the journey uh, yes. with my head held over the side getting some fresh so. air. I think so. So, yeah, do watch out for that. Uh, if it's going to be rough and you don't have good sea legs, then uh, fly. start the journey outside or fly. Yes, okay. So now after your bumpy hour on the catamaran, where did you end up? We ended up back on Mahe, the main island. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we were there to see another resort that uh, is run by Constance Hotels, which is called Constance Ophelia. It's a different beast to Lemuria in that I think it, it, it's, it, it's probably twice the size. I think it's more than twice the size of Lemuria and I think it, it appeals to perhaps more of a family friendly market whereas you know, families are very welcome on Lemuria no doubt but I think there's a bit more to do at this resort there's a bit more space there's you know there's a squash court and there's a bigger um, gym area and that kind of thing and there's some uh, probably a, a better safe swimming beach as well um on the the I think it's the northern side of the resort, which is which is wonderful for families. So yeah, we we took a drive over the island, and it's it's an incredible island in that it rises from from sea level to hundreds of meters tall within a very short space of time. So all of the roads either go around the island on the coast, or these incredible sort of switchback roads through the forest to get over the the, the top and then back down the other side. So it's it's a very dramatic island, even if it is the capital, you know, or the, the main the mo- the most developed island. Um, so yeah, we, we stopped in at Ophelia uh, for two nights, I think we were there, and um, yeah, there's there's an incredible amount to do. There's there's great snorkeling and scuba diving, there's a marine park called Port Lonnais, which is just north of the resort, very popular. Um, there is some mangrove forest right to the, just to the south of the resort, I think, and they do free kayak tours pretty much every afternoon. I think it just depends on the tides and how many people are interested. So you can go kayaking through the mangroves with a guide who sort of shows you what, you know, how it all works and, and teaches you a bit of kayaking if you're not so sure. And then there's yeah, there's a kids' club where you know you can deposit children if you want to go off to the spa. And the spa is a very popular part of the resort. It's a whole precinct, really, more than just a spa. So, you know, there's I forget the number of treatment rooms, but there's loads of little you know standalone rooms and coupled rooms. And there's a room flow pool and a heated pool and a sauna and a steam room and a etc. etc. Et pretty et cetera, much et everything. By the there's pretty much it. anything you could ever mm. want out of a spa. It, it, it's there. Um, you know, the French I think enjoy their spas, so it's it, it appeals very much to that market. And then there's great food there as well. I think there were I think there's 
five or six restaurants spread across the resort. There's 270 rooms, so it's a fair number of people, although it's it takes over an entire peninsula, which uh, it's incredibly spacious, so you never really feel like it's crowded. When I was there, the resort was almost fully booked, and we were amazed because we thought, oh, yeah, low season, not very busy, but yeah, it was everybody's really spread out, which is great. But the most the most interesting interesting thing to do there, I think, is the zipline adventure. Which I was going to ask you about that. Did you do that? Um, Right, let, let, let me backtrack a little bit. So mm-hmm. the two things that I don't have are sea legs and a head for heights. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So, so I'll, I'll qualify that. Um, no, I stood and watched at the bottom. Uh, I'm, I agree I'm a complete with you. coward when it mm. comes to heights. I, I make no bones about that. But no, the other people in my party that I was traveling with uh, did, and they loved it. And unsurprisingly, it started by some South African guys. Um, and they really? basically, I think they battled for a little while because they went to the Seychelles and, the Seychelles and they were like, right, guys, we want to do a treetop zipline. And everybody looked at them and sort of went, what and why? And it'll never work. And we're not going to give you permission. And so I think that they, they battled for a little bit to get, uh, you know, environmental permission and all that kind of thing. And to find somebody that bought into the idea. And they convinced the people at Lemuria and got permission to do it through the rainforest, basically over a gorge. Um, so you start at the top and you zip line back and forth across this gorge through the through the treetops. And it's incredible. Um, and the guys there are fantastic. There's another, there was a woman in our party who is as afraid of heights as I am, but evidently has more courage than I do and was not keen to go at all. But the guys there, the you know, the, the, the people who run it, Smack Adventures, they chivied her along and she did it. And by the end, she was blown away. You know, it was sort of a tick off her bucket list, basically. Um, so that's really unique. And that's something you can only do there. And you get they get guests coming from all over the island, basically, not just in mm. the resort to come and do this. And there's also some uh, some rock climbing that they offer on some of the granite boulders. So that's, that's an option. Um, so, yeah, there's an enormous amount to do, even though it's a resort. And, you know, people think that resorts are just, oh, we're going to go and sit, and sit on the beach for seven days. How boring could that be? But, you know, once you've spent a day diving, a day kayaking, a day on the zip line, done some rock climbing, spent a day chilling out, got to the spa for a day, it's time to go back to the, the airport and you're wishing that you'd, you know, booked book for the long, book, Yeah, you booked the week's trip instead <laughs> of the, the shorter one. So, no, there's, there's an enormous amount to do. Um, I think the one thing that perhaps needs to be said is that the Seychelles is more expensive than other island destinations. Um, you're paying in part for the exclusivity. It, it's not wall-to-wall resorts. Uh, there is still a feel of an island that's, you know, carrying on with its business. And there's a lot of there is a lot of local stuff to explore. You can go into the the capital Victoria and have a look around the market for a morning. There's a couple of interesting little, you know, fabric shops and curio shops, and you can go fishing with some of the locals too. Um, so you will pay a little bit more than going to Mauritius, but then you're not also going to a place where it's wall-to-wall resorts and it's massive tour buses collecting you know hundreds and hundreds of people off every flight. Um, so uh, yeah, there, there's a bit of a balance to be made there. I think I think that the landscape is more dramatic too, so you do get a bit more of a feel of this really mind-blowing tropical getaway. Um, you just need to balance it with saving for an extra month or two, perhaps. <laughs> well, it sounds like a wonderful destination. If I went, I think I would give a miss to the zipline and the fruit bat curry. But other than <laughs> And that oh, sounds wonderful. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you've been to some other places, so you'll be joining us again in the not-too-distant future. Thank you for your time Definitely. this evening. See you soon. Thanks. I was chatting there with Richard Holmes. He's a freelance travel writer and the travel editor of iAfrica.com. And for more information on what he was talking about this evening, you can have a look at a few websites. There's www.airseychelles.net. There's constancehotels.com and holidayfactory.com. .co.za and if you'd like to follow Richard on his adventures around wherever he goes you can do that on Twitter it's at on another plane time to travel with Karen Key well, Jenny Prinsler is on the line, and she's the CEO of the Franchuk Wine Valley. Now, we're not talking about a wine festival or a wine event, as we usually do, and there are lots of those fabulous things going on in the valley. But we're going to be speaking this evening about something rather different. It's called the Franchuk Artisan Food Route, and, and they call it a hidden gem. And trust me, it absolutely is. Jenny, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Karen. Thank you for having me. So this whole thing about food routes and specifically artisan food routes, it seems to be the new thing at the moment. And you've really taken this on board in a big way. Well, you know, it started off when we had some tourists from the UK asking us if we had an artisan food trail. And we, in fact, had all the artisanal food producers, but we hadn't put it together in a a route for visitors to actually visit each of the people that make these artisanal foods. 
So that's when we started uh, putting it together as a route. And it's really about this new trend in the world, which is about where does your food come from? In other words, the provenance of your food. And is it handmade? Um, people want to know where the product comes from and um, who's made it. And is it a small, organic, or diverse product? Is it seasonal and is it sustainable? I mean, it's even down to things like the cheeses made from milk from cows that have been milked by hand. Yes, and that's really showing, you know, getting back to our roots when people used to milk their cows by hand. So, um, for example, you know, we have on our route the Dalewood um, fromage where you can actually see the cows in the pasture and then they get um, driven into um, the dairy and then the, the, the milk is, um, is they milked twice a day and then it's actually the, the product is from pasture to cheese. So it's all under one body as it were. Now the thing about the Franchuk artisanal route is that you've got I mean, the, I don't, I've looked through the list of things available. The, I don't think you're missing anything. And this is going from things like chocolate to cheese to milk products to jams to fruit to herbs. I mean, just talk us through some of the things on this route. And as we discussed, I think, before we came on air, the, the nice thing about this route, it isn't all in one place. You can actually do a tour of the valley, of Franchuk Valley, and go on the route at the same time. That's right. Um, you can wander your way through the valley um, and, you know, you can start, for example, at, at Babylon's Turin and, and Dalewood, as I mentioned. At Babylon's Turin, they have the farm shop, they have an old bread oven, they have the magnificent fruit and vegetable organic garden, which is a must for anyone who hasn't been there. And you can actually pick your own vegetables and herbs there. And then the bread and wine farm shop where Neil Jewell does his charcuterie and Tina, his wife, makes the bread. And then at Dutch East, we've got coffee that's produced uh, in the restaurant. They roast their own beans there. They grind their own beans. So you can choose from your green beans in the sack which beans you would like. And quite an unusual one is the Franschhoek Medicinal Herb Garden where you can buy bunches of fresh medicinal herbs. And then, of course, we have the Franschhoek Village Market every Saturday. And this has been a very big trend in South Africa where every small village now has a village market. And that is because people want to come. They want to see their produce. They want to choose their vegetables and their fruit. They want to see homemade olives and jams there. Um, and it's an outing to come and, and visit um, the market in Franschhoek. And then people know about the Huguenot Fine Chocolates, which are the Belgian chocolates. But here again, it is made um, handmade. The chocolate is, is imported from Belgium, and they are handmade in the shop there. And, of course, the jam jar is a, is a very beautiful little jam shop. They make jams, preserves, and also fruit cordial, um, and that is on the uh, Simonsburg Road. And from La Bourgoyne, we've got the olives and olive oil, very good olive oil. And um, at Le Cotte Fromage, um, which is where our Le Cotte Inn shop is, where they have the wine, they are importing artisanal French cheese. So from the markets outside Paris and around France, Burgundy, we've got some artisanal cheese from there. And then Noble Hill also is making... Um, wonderful olives and olive oil, and they have a chili garden that visitors can, can see and see all the different kinds of chilies that they are growing there. And then a very unique product of ours is the Franschhoek trout, which is the salmon trout um, where it's available from the salmon bar, and it's fresh or it's smoked. It, they're terrines people can buy and all sorts of products from the um, Franschhoek trout. And another one of our gardens is the Somme's Delta, Dick Delta, Feinbos Culinary Garden, where the chef at, um, at Feindry Restaurant picks these Feinbos herbs and makes very special meals, food, a menu, or with all the indigenous produce from there. I'm rather taken with Lamotte because I love the fact that they still have an operational water mill. It's quite an historic water mill. And they're still producing stone ground flour there, which I, that, I just love the whole feel of that old mill and producing the flour. It really does take you back a bit. It really does. And it's from 1700s. I think it's a, a 1749 or so. And on a Wednesday, people can do a tour. 
they can walk to the um, the water mill. It's on the estate, and they actually grind the flour um, there, and they use that flour to make bread, which you can buy at the farm shop. So that's very exciting to see the old mill working. Now, Jenny, if people come through to Franschuk, if they pop into your uh, tourism office there, would they get a map? How does it actually work? Or do they just need to look this up on the internet, on the website? How do they go about finding out where to go and what they can see when they get there? We're so happy to give visitors our Franschuk Artisan Food Route map, which we've produced, which has all uh, 19 of the artisanal food producers on it. Um, So there's a map to follow as well as a list of the um, producers and what products they make. And you based in the main road in Franschhoek? We are based in the main road as you drive in on the right-hand side. People will see the big I, which stands for information, where our information centre is. And if they'd like to get hold of possibly a map beforehand, would there be a possibility if they called you that you could mail it to them, that they could have it when they get there? Or they do they could. need to pick it up from they you? They could, or they can have a look at it on our website. It's also on our website. And um, they're very welcome to phone in um, beforehand, and our information centre will be able to help them with that. Because obviously, as you mentioned, for example, at Lamotte, the grinding of the flour happens on a Wednesday. So obviously, if you're wanting to see specific things, would that all those dates and times of when events happen be in that map guide as well? I think think for that information, it is on the map. But if you wanted a specific, um, bring a, a group of people for that, you would need to phone beforehand and make a booking. And our information office is very happy to help people. And um, the number there is 021-876-2861. How long has this been going now, Jenny? When did you actually start this route formally? We started it at the beginning of this year. And um, we've had a lot of interest from people wanting to come and visit. And I just think it's, it's really a trend for people who are wanting to get more in touch with where does their food come from? Um, people are, are very, very interested in this, especially seeing we had the big scare in the UK and Europe where people were, were buying meat and they, they thought it was beef and mm. it was actually some other type of meat. And this is really filtered around the world now for, for people wanting to have this information. So getting a lot of interest um, from that point of view. So people want to be able to arrive, see the thing example growing in the ground are able to pick it themselves in some cases and know exactly where it came from and also they want to buy it when they Mm. uh, visit the place and of course all of these products are available to to buy it's very nice to bring your basket and travel around the route and fill your basket as you go during the day and then of course stop off somewhere for lunch our grandmothers would be proud of us they really would. <laughs> They'd be proud of our pantries. Absolutely. And of us doing this kind because this is how they shopped back in the day. Yes, exactly. Instead Every of popping day. into the local supermarket and just, you know, <laughs> pulling things off shelves, people bought them from the producers. You went out and got your fresh produce. They did. And it's, it's like going, taking us back to better times when it comes to food. Definitely, mm. Corinne. I couldn't agree more. Well, Jenny, I congratulate you for, for taking the initiative when somebody meant, just mentioned it to you and actually running with it and ending up with this amazing route. And um, I'm sure it's going to grow from strength to strength. And uh, people with the holiday season coming up now, I'm sure, are going to be out there in their droves shopping with their little baskets, as Granny would have done. That's right. So <laughs> thank you so much for telling us more about that, Jenny. Thank you so much, Corinne. I was chatting there with Jenny Prince, who is CEO of the Franchuk Wine Valley, about their art- artisan food route. And uh, if you'd like more information, you can call the Franchuk Wine Valley office on 021-876-2861 or you can take a look at the website. It's www.franchuk.org.za and always remember Franchuk has two H's in the middle. So call them on 021-876-2861 or the website franchuk.org.za. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Kyron Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And I'll be back with you next Monday evening, just after nine, with the Law Report. That's Monday, the 21st of October. If you need any information about something you've heard this evening, email me on travel at safm.co.za or take a look at the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM.